Hi, this is Aviva Richmond from Hadar, sharing some thoughts on Parsha Lech Lecha. The Unlikely Origins of Prayer Where does prayer come from? Do you have to feel close to God to pray? Even as God talks to multiple prominent figures in the first chapters of the Torah, none of them utters words that we would recognize as prayer. Instead, prayer comes from less obvious sources. In this week's Parsha, we encounter Avram calling upon God's name, Vayikra B'Shem Hashem, presumably some kind of formal worship as he builds an altar. The picture we get is that you do have to feel close to God to pray. Avram only calls upon God's name after God has already called to him. But this generic phrase doesn't actually give us any sense of meaningful words of prayer. And it brings our attention to the fact that we don't see Adam, Noah, or Avram articulating words of prayer to God. There are multiple moments where we might have expected them to pray. Adam being kicked out of the garden, perhaps praying to return. Noah on the ark, praying for the waters to end. Avram, when famine first strikes, praying for food. In the Midrash collection, Breshit Rabbah, that often expands on the Torah, the first moment of prayer is none of these. The first prayer comes when Sarai is abducted by Pharaoh upon Avram and Sarai's arrival in Egypt early in this week's Parsha. Earlier traditions, before rabbinic sources, also saw this distressing moment as an occasion for prayer. One of the writings found in the Dead Sea Scrolls called the Genesis Apocryphon relates that Avram, quote, prayed and besought and implored, end quote, when Sarai was taken away. He beseeches God, the Lord and ruler over everything. He levels an accusation at Pharaoh and asks God to save Sarai and to manifest God's great power against Pharaoh. This prayer has familiar tropes to our own prayer book, recognizing God as ruler and beseeching God with a specific request. Yet, rabbinic teachings adopt an entirely different approach to the origins of prayer in this tense narrative. Stuck in the depths of Pharaoh's palace, and in the depths of a text that gives her no voice, Sarai gives birth to prayer in this moment. She is the first to pronounce the formula, Master of the Worlds, Ribon Ha'olamim, to introduce a personal prayer in response to her circumstances. What does she have to say? She does not pray to go home. She doesn't pray to be saved. She does not level an accusation at Pharaoh, and she doesn't pray for God's name to be made known to the world. She hurls a critique of the unfairness of her situation. Quote, and that whole night, Sarah prostrated herself on her face, saying, Master of all the worlds, Avraham went out with a guarantee, and I went out on blind faith. Avraham is outside the prison, but I am in the prison? Sarah points out that she has received no assurances from God about her own future, and yet she must face adversity over and above Avram. God has guaranteed Avram descendants, wealth and blessing, promises that would offer comfort and perspective if he was taken captive. How is she supposed to get through the difficulty of the moment when God has never spoken to her or promised her anything? We know Sarai becomes Sarah, our foremother. 
But for all Sarai knows, her part in the story may end here, helping to enrich Avram from Pharaoh's wealth and remaining in Pharaoh's palace forever. In the text of the Torah where Sarai has no voice, and on the backdrop of earlier pre-Rabbinic texts that give Avram a voice but not Sarai, it is remarkable to see our sages draw out Sarai's voice in this narrative. In the midst of a situation where she is objectified for her beauty and deprived of any agency, Sarai's voice emerges loud and strong, uttering the first words of prayer. The textual catalyst for the Midrash is the phrase Al-Devar Sarai. At face value, this means about the matter of Sarai, where she is the object of discussion. But the Midrash takes it instead as due to the word of Sarai, where she becomes a subject who speaks, finding her voice in this context of total degradation. This is where prayer comes from. Not from a figure who is in direct relationship and regular conversation with God, but from someone who has no reason to believe God will do anything for her. In Aviva Zornberg's words, in the book Beginnings of Desire, Sarah's is a faith of, quote, grim realism, end quote. God has never spoken to her and never indicated an interest in her own future. Nonetheless, she decides to articulate the fragility of her position and the untenable nature of her reality directly to God. Who are we in this story? Are we Avram, going through the travails of life with divine assurances of blessing? Or are we Sarai, essentially going on nothing as we face the intense challenges life throws our way? On the one hand, we're descendants of Avraham born into the guarantee of covenant. On the other hand, we may feel more affinity to Sarai at times, going on faith alone without any direct assurances from God, seeing our world unravel around us, and unsure of our place in the larger arc of the Jewish people and of history. Sarai is the matriarch who teaches us to pray from exactly that place. Sarai beckons us into prayer from the reality of where we are, even if that is rooted in uncertainty and cynicism. With Sarai as a model, we might overcome some of the common barriers of entry into prayer. How can I pray if I don't feel like I'm in any kind of relationship with God? What's the point of prayer if I don't believe God will answer me? Sarai teaches that prayer can come from not having a clear sense of a relationship with God. Prayer runs on the fumes of an uncertain faith, not the resonant lingering of divine promises in our ears. What is the point of prayer if it isn't cementing a steadfast relationship with God or getting what we pray for? Perhaps the primary purpose of prayer is actually to draw out the power of our own voices, as we articulate that our reality is not as it should be, and day in, day out, adamantly refuse to give up on the more perfect vision our silent God inspires. Shabbat Shalom. We're going to close with a melody by Batya Levine. This is called Hishtadlus, and is a good melody for thinking of the day-to-day work of devotion. Yenda <laughs> 